How's it going, guys? This is the Cinema Seekers here that you're listening to on this fine evening. Uh, myself, I am Connor. I have with me here my co-host. I'll let him introduce himself. You guys know me as Freddy, the Fred Man, who does the podcast with Connor here. <laughs> Always introduce yourself as the Fred Man. Yes. And we actually have a guest today, a guest guest of sorts. Oh my um, god. <laughs> he has been on the podcast before, so if you are a veteran listener, you will have heard him. Um, this is our good friend, longtime friend, um, Keon Mutakberry. Keon, how's it going? <laughs> What's up, guys? It's really good to be here. <laughs> Very happy to be doing this. This is a really, uh, really fun movie. You know, growing up and watching this, uh, really, really big impact on my childhood. Super, super excited to talk about this one. Oh yeah, and I'm sure some childhood things will come up because I already know <laughs> yep. like all three of us have memories about this uh, just <laughs> oh, from yeah. just like personal like uh, connected memories with each other so that'll definitely come into play Absolutely. when we, <laughs> we start getting into this um, but uh, as, as far as just like setting the, the stage um, so that you guys know what what movie we're doing and we'll talk a little bit about cast and and some things surrounding it we are doing none other than spider-man 2002 that's right our spider-man leadoff is starting tonight <laughs> or with this episode <laughs> whenever you're listening to it so um this movie obviously it came out like in 2002 like i said but this at this time this was like the beginning era of superhero films as we know them today so really before this as far as marvel movies anyway you had because back in like the seventies you had the Superman movies and then the Batman movies came in the eighties and, um, they kind of fizzled out after, um, I still see you Batman. <laughs> like right so that, after, that, um, that was uh, pretty rough with uh, George Clooney. <laughs> yeah. And then the director for those, um, he was, uh, Joel uh, Schumacher. No, uh, to, him. And then the one that did, uh, the, the movie with two face was the villain. Uh, with like Batman I can't remember the director. I know what movie you're talking about perfectly. Right, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I can't Tim, remember the Tim director. Burton, right? No, he did the first two. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. That was it. Was just like this really interesting time for like superhero movies in general, not just Marvel. You know, obviously because that's DC, but it just in general, it's like you had directors like Tim Burton making Batman <laughs> movies, and then they had the classic, really awkward suits with like the nipples on them and like, oh god like, the bat nipples yeah like that was just <laughs> yeah. like what's what's going through tim burton's head when he's just like you know what this is missing <laughs> bat nipples well that wasn't him <clears throat> oh that wasn't him Who that was, was that? that was later i think that was schumacher was that actually i, I think it was too yeah schumacher added the bat nipples not um burton. oh god <laughs> And actually, um, Tim Burton didn't actually direct the first two Batman movies. He was definitely involved, but I think mm -hmm. he, I want to say he was Tim doing Blake. another project at the time. So he was on as a producer, um, okay. but I can't remember who actually directed those. I mean, it's not like super important, but now I want to look it up because <laughs> right. I want to know Batman I guess just because like, we're on the topic of like how superhero movies used to be, you know, like compared to today. Yeah, oh, yeah, the director yeah, yeah. was Tim Burton. It does say Tim Burton, so yeah, maybe I'm he, thinking of the second one. Are, are you thinking of the third There's one? There's one of them that like he was involved in, and he couldn't direct it. I think mm -hmm. it was the third one. I would, yeah, pro probably the third, I'd say. Yeah, the third one was directed by um, 
Joel Schumacher as well. So Joel Schumacher had a hold of the films for, I think, two films. Interestingly enough, Danny Elfman did the score for I Batman know, Forever. I know, bro. He did it for all <laughs> of the Batman films. Like, I, Did he do I, all four of them? Yes, I believe so. I believe his name is on all four I, of I, them. I wouldn't be surprised, but yeah, that that's going to come into play in this episode as well. Oh, because, it will, because Danny God, Elfman. God, this score. This guy. Oh my God. This guy knew what he was uh, doing. Hans Zimmer before Hans yes. Zimmer came around. <laughs> um. So yeah, th- like we were back to the the point of this all um this was literally like groundbreaking as a film when it came out because the only marvel films that you had before this that actually really took the superhero genre i i would i guess you could say seriously uh although there there was still some campiness to them um x-men was really the one before this and blade did come out but it wasn't like super well known x-men was like the first you know marvel hit Spider-Man was the first Marvel box office extravaganza. Right. Did, did amazing at the the box office. Well, didn't the Hulk like the first Hulk come out around this time too, or was that after? By Ang Lee, it was it was after, but yeah, Ang Lee's Hulk I think was oh. 4 03 okay, so, yeah it was yeah it was definitely after that's right well yeah no that's yeah no that would make sense that would definitely make sense oh three so yeah i mean it definitely like set the stage for all of these marvel movies to come out and i guess you could really even make the case that x-men was the first one to kind of start that that uh slope down the hill yeah but like, i mean spider-man really and... like ramped up the momentum <laughs> oh yeah yeah no for sure and you know it it, it it stayed true to a lot of like the source material i feel like yeah aside from a a few things that fans love to nitpick about like the organic (laughs) web shooters and oh yeah and stuff like that Mm -hmm. which i i mean it it does not take away from this movie in the slightest in my opinion so i don't really think it's a valid argument but i understand why why people would be irritated about that i guess (laughs) Uh, where'd you guys want to start with this? There's a whole lot to break down here for sure. So, well, yeah, let, let me real quick say, because we were talking about box office. This movie literally had a budget of $139 million. Wow. Uh, You know, that's a modest budget. It made $825 million at the box office. Wow. wow. Now, I don't know if that's adjusted for inflation or not. I'm, I'm assuming it is because this that's what came up on Google. Uh, but oh that's God. like incredible compared to... Um, a lot of superhero movies like it's not your your in-game level but that's just you know there's there's no competing with something like that at this point but yeah that that's incredible like it it almost made seven times its budget i think something like something crazy like that insane insane do you want to do we should we talk about the cast i guess a little bit yeah Yeah. we can start with the cast sweet okay um so this movie had a i know just from a little bit of like uh, research here and there and just you know kind of growing up with the film that um this was planned to be made for a long time like it was a long time coming they had wanted to start it i think as early as like the 80s so it was like a or, or maybe like the early 90s and it just kept changing directors. At one point, James Cameron was attached to it. Oh, wow. And it eventually, finally, um, they interviewed they interviewed Sam Raimi, 
And Sam Raimi literally, you know, didn't have like a ton of experience with big movie studios. He literally made Evil Dead on like a shoestring budget with his friend Bruce Campbell. And like it it was a really successful film. So he definitely had the chops for it. But at the time, he wasn't like super well known. Yeah, so he was However, by no means like first choice to direct. It, yeah, but but um, when he went into the interview, I remember I listened to this. Um, he basically just you know laid out his love for the character and told them how much passion he had for Spider-Man, growing right. up with the comics and everything. And whatever he said had some magic to it because they hired him on the or not not on the spot, but they called him the very next day and told him he had the job. I mean, he must have, like, spawned... He must have, like, going into that, must have had a really good, like, vision for something, you know, like, for the movie of, like, what he was going to mm-hmm. do. Because, like, you know, he went in there and, like... Um, I think passion goes a really long way. I think it goes a really long way um, when you're trying to find somebody. Because, like, that's, like... It's almost, like... It's almost, like, collateral, if you think about it. Like, if you're hiring a director that could be very good and has a lot of credits, you know, as a director, but then they're not passionate about the movie that you want them to make that down the road is going to show like at the end of the day, you're going to just want somebody who's passionate about what they're doing. Right. So I think that goes a really long way. Um, And it, I'm I'm sure it did because that probably like bled into like the story that he pitched that day. And he probably was just like throwing out these ideas where they were just like, wow, this is, this guy knows what he's talking about. He gets what we want we understand that he's really passionate about it. This is probably just like a great fit. And it really does show in the movie, in my personal opinion, like you could tell like this was kind of like a, a passion project to a certain extent, you know? Yeah. And I think that's a, that kind of echoes another thing that he was saying in that interview that I listened to. Like he was talking about how he didn't even know if he himself, if he would be the right fit for it, because he knew with this being a, big time studio Sony that they were going to want to mass market this to everyone, the entire world. And he was known for a very small genre of film, like, you know, shoestring horror basically. (laughs) So he wasn't even like fully confident that he would get the job, I guess, but he definitely wanted to. And that you're, you're right. Keon, that passion definitely shows through in the, in the end product. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's like a movie that really sticks with you, especially if like you were like our age when we were watching it growing up, like it really sticks with you, you know? Uh, 100%. Um, and that's literally, we haven't even gotten into the cast yet because we got <laughs> caught up talking about t- Sam Raimi, but he basically is like a character in this movie because his style just exudes through, but yeah, let's, let's get into cast. I mean, we, we have to start with the, uh, big man himself toby mcguire who plays peter parker Old tobes slash um spider-man eventually I, I don't know i i definitely think he makes he makes a pretty darn good nerdy peter parker in my opinion i have no I qualms with the casting of him as peter parker at all like i love seeing him in the school setting and then even out of it like i mean he's like it's almost like he he knows he's smart, but he wants to do more, especially when he gets that Spider-Man ability. And I just, I don't know, I loved watching him convey all the emotions that Peter Parker got to go through in this film. I know this movie is being memed the heck out of, you know, there are so many <laughs> moments in this film that have been taken out of context and made into modern day memes. Oh, yeah. Oh, but like, 
you know, at the time, you know, we didn't have all that. And it was just just good acting in a really great film, in my opinion. How do you guys feel about Tobey Maguire's acting? Uh, you know, I, I completely agree with you as far as the uh, casting choice for him being Peter Parker. I thought he did a really good job with playing like this kind of like humble kid, you know, uh, and like growing up in his surroundings in New York and everything. Like, uh, you could tell like the influence from his aunt and uncle, Aunt May and Uncle Ben, you know, growing up, uh, like rubbed off on him. And that was like a core character trait about him. And that really showed through as Peter Parker. So I really like that. Um, one thing that I don't know if it was just like the writing or if it was something else. I don't know if you guys picked up on this either. So he's not like, he's not my, I don't think he's my favorite Spider-Man, but the thing that I was realizing when I was going back and watching this is he rarely ever talked when he was in costume, like dressed as Spider-Man. It was mostly like a Peter Parker film with the action thrown in of Spider-Man. You know, mm-hmm. like he he didn't talk too much. Like there wasn't a lot of uh that classic like Spider-Man banter, you know. True. Oh yeah, like true. this is definitely more of like a character study on Peter Parker than it is like on the character of Spider-Man, which that's a part of Peter's character development, of course. But it's definitely more of a focus on Peter and his growth yeah. through the movie. It, it's so hard to talk about because it, Sam Raimi, like, he wasn't trying to make exactly what's in the comics. Like, he was still honoring right. all of that. By all means, he was honoring it to a T. But he you know made it his own in a way and and made a beautiful character study of this nerdy timid afraid to speak up kid who you know wants to get the girl but is like so petrified of even talking to her at first and then he slowly builds up the courage as the movie goes on to to actually you know talk to her and it it leads to that beautiful uh, speech that he gives her in the hospital with Aunt May listening in. Right. And I, I've always, like, when I've historically watched this movie, I never really paid attention to that scene just because it's dialogue. And I was like, yeah, Spider-Man, let's watch the Spider-Man. Because yeah. I love Spider-Man. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's so beautiful. Like, I made myself listen to it. I watched this twice. I know Freddie did, too. I watched it again last night, guys, um, because I literally like i freddie had watched it again so i really wanted to again without taking notes i just wanted to pay attention to it and it struck me like when he had that scene and he like for most of the movie i was thinking yeah his dialogue's kind of cheesy like he he doesn't really speak up when he could right but that's a part of that <laughs> is literally a part of the development so you have to really have to realize that and a lot of people don't like a nerdy protagonist uh, like a, a protagonist who can't speak up or stand up for himself someone but who's that actually is... nerdy you know like they don't have that confidence and that kind of stuff exactly that that's what you want in a protagonist you know mainstream is is a confident brute force type of person so that that's not what peter parker is but i agree with you keon the the spider-man quips are obviously not there like there's a couple moments where he yeah. does throw a couple one-liners in 
but for the most part, yeah, it's it's not it, it, really it prevalent. Feels, it feels like it's more so like what they focused on was like Peter Parker as Spider-Man rather than like Spider-Man as this like nearly separate entity that kind of represents an, an entirely different set of traits that Peter Parker like when he dons the mask he almost like becomes this different person type thing you know yeah. um, it's more so like I think I guess Sam Raimi was just really wanting to focus on like we I want to highlight who Peter Parker is as a person and like humanize him as much as I can and then tie that in to him being Spider-Man you know yeah he definitely tried to make it a little more natural I think because um, in most mediums, he does kind of become a different person when he puts the mask on. And to an extent in this movie, he does do that only because he can, but it's still restrained in a way. Right. He, and that's actually, that tracks through the, the whole trilogy because he slowly becomes more arrogant yeah. as the movies go on. And so he does kind of like get into that Spider-Man role a little bit more as the movies go on. But here, he's still like just out of high school new to everything right. i think this movie only takes place over like six months or so so it's not a long time that he's you know been spider-man yeah not at all not at all do you do you also think that maybe the costume didn't allow him to speak and they didn't want to go back and do voiceover work for him because they definitely did voiceover oh, work you can point. definitely tell when it shows him the rare occasions it shows him talking in the spider suit he doesn't really look like he's talking in that moment and it's probably i'm wondering how this spider-man mask fit on his face and if it allowed him to even talk i mean we know green goblins let him talk he talked the entire time he was in costume but (laughs) spider-man like you guys say you know he doesn't talk a lot and i mean i'm sure it was also in the script sam raimi definitely wanted to do more of a character piece on peter parker than the spider-man aspect but maybe there was something with the costume that he also just couldn't move his mouth so they tried to have a little less dialogue when he had the mask on i don't know i'm just guessing you know i'm trying to play devil's advocate here i mean that would make sense i could definitely yeah, see that you know because like I mean, imagine like with stuff like that you can't like attach a mic to them at mm-hmm. that point it has to be like a boom mic mm-hmm. that's just picking mm-hmm. up all the audio so you know like and like what you're saying we see it there are certain times in the movie where it's like okay okay that was they went back they dubbed that over because you know probably there was something like where the audio wasn't clean cut it could probably be as small as like something was like it picked up his suit moving, you know, and mm-hmm. you heard the sound of like cloth getting in the way of what he's saying. And like, they need it to be yeah. as crisp as possible. So they go back and, you know, they have to do that. I feel like. <laughs> he certainly doesn't talk a lot as Spider-Man, but he certainly screams a lot. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what scene I'm so talking funny. about. <laughs> oh man. No. Yeah. There's a lot of Peter Parker screams in that. That was great. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> honestly though when he's even when he's peter parker like his mouth toby Maguire's mouth does not move that much i no, noticed that when i was watching it he and really, it kind of like, started irritating me a little bit yeah, I, I know yeah that's that's kind of like a, a a point i wanted to to touch on um i don't want to stray too far out of like characters um we can i'll 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 try and remember that that point as it continues on just because i want to like focus on you know one thing at a time i suppose uh um, yeah, yeah 
And with with that, we should probably move on to Willem Dafoe as the Green Goblin slash Norman Osborn. Oh, he okay. plays two roles here, like literally. Fantastic. Yeah, that mirror dual scene. role, like oh, that is the one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie. They weren't like for the most part, they weren't intercutting that. That was him actually just like swapping yeah. on the drop of a hat on the spot between them. Yeah, because you can tell like when he turns away from the mirror, he's still smiling a little bit. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. They yeah. just they use camera angles to make it look like he was changing or made it look smoother. But yeah, you can definitely tell he was day changing on a dime, which is crazy. To, to see that acting work from William Defoe. God, I love him in this movie. It's literally him falling into insanity mm-hmm. and every bit of it is incredible. Like I absolutely love Willem Defoe as the Green Goblin. There's no one else who can play this character. Yeah, at at, like at him, least yeah. in this set in this movie. Like there yeah. I told you guys this last night when we were briefly talking, but for the audience, um Apparently, Willem Dafoe had to lobby for this role. Like, wow. Sam <laughs> Raimi wasn't even trying to like get him to play this role. Willem Dafoe just wanted to do it because he He's thought like, it no, sounded fun. fun. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I would love to do this. You know, I'm something of an actor myself. <laughs> <laughs> He's like his conversation with Sam Raimi. He's like, really? Is that so? Yeah, Willem? No. He's like, yes. I'm something of an actor myself. <laughs> <laughs> and and not and beyond that, like. He poured himself so much into this role that he apparently did 90% of his stunts in this movie. And he, like it's just like the the body movements on the glider and yeah. It, yeah. It's just so like it's so unique but it's so Willem Dafoe. I even like, how his like his I body language changes when um like compared to how he is with Norman where he's just kind of just like your average kind of guy, how he's walking around all controlled and everything, versus that scene where, like, he's on the rooftop with Peter after he's, like, used the gas to make him fall asleep, and they have that conversation about, like, what it means to be a hero. (laughs) And, like, his body language, even when he's, like, you know, like, he he, like, slaps him on the side of the head, and he's like, see, that's what I'm talking about. And he, like, you know, like, falls on the wall next to him and leans over next to him. Like, his whole body Mm -hmm. language, like, changes when he's doing this, and it's just, like, those subtle things that, like, it's not just Norman in a suit, you know, this is a different person. Yeah. Oh, 100% agree. Yeah. Um, there's, there's some other things that I definitely want to talk about with green goblin, but maybe we ought to keep it at that right now and get through the yeah, rest of these characters. Keep it a bit short. Cause we do, I know we want to get, who else do we want to tackle? Um, do we want to tackle, um, Harry and Mary Jane and cut it off there? I had a quick note on someone. If, if, if you guys didn't mind getting it in. Yeah, go for it. Go ahead. So I found out recently, after going back and watching it, that Flash Thompson looked very familiar. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He's true. played by Joe Manganiello. Yeah, Joe that? Manganiello. Mang- Mang- Manganiello, yeah. yeah. Dude, I had no idea he played Flash Thompson. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> for you guys who might not know this actor... If you look him up, you'll you'll probably recognize him. Um, he's married to Sofia Vergara, I think, mm-hmm, and yep. he got his like breakout role in uh, True Blood, I think. Um, but he's actually oh, what no, I know it was from Magic is, Mike. Yeah, Magic. There's Magic Mike. He was a really big role in Magic Mike, I think, and he's a gigantic D and D nerd. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, yep. gigantic That's awesome. nerd, man. Like he's a gigantic D&D nerd. Um, you know, like he plays D&D on this YouTube channel called Critical Role. Um, they have their whole shtick that they do. Like he did something that became so like popularized that the people who wrote the D&D book of the campaign they were doing canonized it. And so his character is actually like a <laughs> canon character in that D&D universe. That guy, Flash Thompson. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's it's awesome. Just funny. It's just funny. <laughs> yep, and then he later played Deathstroke in the um, Justice League and the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. Yeah, and yeah, he was going yeah. to be a very major character in the Ben Affleck Batman movie that never came to fruition, unfortunately. So it's unfortunate Dang. we never got to see him as Deathstroke. See, his suit and everything looks so cool. But yeah, 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 yeah. That's unfortunate. I think that he actually auditioned for the role of Peter Parker in this movie. That's like that's primarily. I think the main thing, I'd say the main reason that he wouldn't have gotten that, um, first of all, he doesn't really look too nerdy. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, <laughs> oh, Peter true. Parker is not tall. He's not <laughs> yeah. tall. No. This guy is Mm-mm. six, like, what, six, three, six, five, mm-hmm. something crazy yep. like that. Yeah, he's six, five. He's six, five. <laughs> too, too this was tall. also his his film debut too like this is the first really film that he was or this, at least um silver screen like like big um, big name like movie you could say yeah yeah <laughs> incredible wow. wow um no i, I don't know I, I don't have anything against guy i think he i think he's great um but no i couldn't see him as peter parker like especially Agreed. with like sam raimi's version of this movie like it's really focused on him being this nerdy kid like imagine the roles reverse and it's toby mcguire and, and he's throwing Thompson punches and he's bullying yeah he's bullying the six five behemoth get the <laughs> f- out of the way there are yeah, cars exactly here. exactly you're dead parker like and it's toby mcguire <laughs> saying that to like joe manganello are you kidding me joe manganello would literally pick him up by the throat and just yeet him. <laughs> imagine that imagine the fight the fight scene in the school <laughs> oh my god <laughs> toby mcguire's gonna do that okay buddy okay that's good uh, that's so good <laughs> okay um I, speaking of people auditioning for oh sorry go ahead freddie i don't i'm i was, about I to was gonna to go the, on to, to the next uh, cast member to uh mr james franco yeah, yeah so speaking of cast members who wanted to audition for the role of spider-man slash peter parker james franco did as well and he like was really really wanting to mm-hmm. and i don't remember where i heard this but it, it's so interesting um sam raimi said i think after like the after they had filmed the third movie that he, uh james franco was actually like kind of jealous of of toby mcguire and when sam found out about that he was like oh it's perfect because it oh, fits yeah. the character it, of it harry really osborne it really <laughs> so does. it's like that resentment is kind of there yeah, he can um, pull on it. <laughs> underlying <laughs> yeah so. that's actually so funny um no i you know i don't i don't know if i could i could see him more as peter parker than joe manganelli for sure um <laughs> but uh I don't know. There's something about him. I don't know if he has, like, too pretty of a face or something, but, like, I couldn't see him. Like, he doesn't strike me as, like, like right when I see him, oh, you know, this guy's kind of nerdy or something, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think he is more of a pretty boy. Yeah. So and he's it like, w- it would... he, he looks like he'd be the rich son of Norman Osborn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, know? definitely. 
he just has that vibe about him um but i as far as like him his like character and everything i he didn't get as much as you know toby Maguire, obviously because obvious reasons um but what was there i guess as far as like setting up his character for the next movie and the third movie um i liked what they did i liked that they introduced like the hobgoblin so fast like they didn't introduce in that movie but it's like setting it up for him to become it you know yeah they planted the seeds very well here and because you it's so like from the beginning of the movie too like when he gets out of the car and introduces his dad as peter this is my father norman osborne like he says his full name because they don't have a good relationship and then norman yeah and then norman instantly latches on to peter right so you right there you can tell like there's this there's already this like resentment that can start to brew Mm -hmm. so it's just carries over with mary jane as well oh shoot yeah (laughs) that's another uh ripping the band-aid off the wound moment oh yeah oh yeah you know like it it really hits when it's that scene when uh harry comes in to visit aunt may in the hospital and he sees them holding hands for a second and it's like ah you actually really feel bad for him because it's like he was there to be a friend to peter and aunt may but exactly you know like that's it's a bit heartbreaking it's a bit heartbreaking yeah, I definitely agree. Because it's just like, he's just this poor kid who wants his father's approval, and he's trying so desperately to, to get it, but <laughs> Norman just keeps taking a crap on his son. Yeah. Like, it's mm-hmm. so sad. He just hasn't been paying him any attention, you know? He's showing it to Peter at every turn that he gets. Yep, except for at the very, like, close to the end of the movie, when Norman is like, I am going to rectify certain inequities. Yeah, yeah, that was great. And, and then, and then uh, you know, Harry finally thinks he's like, oh, he's doing it for me. Oh, man, dad's back. And then he's, then meanwhile, Norman's like, hey, hey, I'm going to kill Spider-Man. And what's really funny is like two seconds before that, Harry walks home, walks into his home hearing, eh, ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> he's like, dad? It's like, if you heard that in your home, you would not, like, why would you think that that's your father? Yeah, he, like, walks in, he just hears, ah! He's like, Dad? What the? Ah! It's like, Dad? He's like, what is it? It's, what do you want? What do you want? He's like, oh, hey, Dad. It's so, it's so sad. And then as soon as he mentions, like, you know, Peter taking pictures of Spider-Man or something he's just like oh is that so yeah it was peter um and that's how he that's how norman found out that peter was in love with mary jane and the goblin had already told norman to go for the heart yep and it's just like that kind of stuff that i think was incorporated very well with his character it was um it felt organic but then at the same time it furthered the plot i think it i think it was done well yeah i would agree what what about what do you think freddie no, I agree with everything you guys said right there. I definitely... That's the um, Norman Osborn, Green Goblin, and Peter Parker, Spider-Man stuff is like my favorite stuff out of this film. Every time they're on screen together, I couldn't take my eyes off. That, that even rang true when I was a kid. You know, that's like, that's the stuff I wanted to see. Everything else was just, you know, talking to me. But whenever they're on the screen, it's like I have to pay attention because they could be trying to wring each other's throats 
because they just right. have different views of how New York City should be. But yeah, I, I don't know. That's Green Goblin and it's probably their relationship. I'll talk about it more later. It's definitely one of my favorite parts. So I really loved... Again, I loved William Defoe in this movie. I could not get enough of him. I think he's my favorite character in the movie, like even more so than Tobey Maguire. <laughs> and then um, James Franco, too, with... Uh, with his stuff with Peter, it was an interesting dynamic. I definitely didn't, I guess because he wasn't in the film as much. I think I think he's in like the next two films a lot more. He gets more prominent, especially the third one. But yeah, James Franco, he was a pretty good like Norman Osborn son. But um, I guess this film, I just, when I think about Spider-Man 2002, I don't really think about Harry as much. That's That comes later for me personally. Yeah, totally. That, that, and that's what I was saying. Like, it, it this was all about planting the seeds, and I mm-hmm. think it. I think I think they did a good job with it. But let's move on to Kirsten Dunst as Mary Jane as the last cast member we'll talk about here, because we should start getting into our points. But um, I know a I lot of people. Her, you know, like a lot of people crap on her character arc. Like they just they reduce her to the damsel in distress, and yeah. After three movies, when you become the damsel oh, yeah. in distress, that is a little bit annoying. If you're but that's that's the not other two. yeah, yeah. But as far as a standalone film, like the only thing that I was starting to see issue with as as her arc was going on is that she she almost had like a, a need to be with someone always, like to uh, to have a relationship with someone, and that yeah, was starting to I annoy me. I yeah, but I was kind of like Dude. it's intentional. Yeah, it is intentional. It absolutely is it, intentional. She's looking for something that will like make her happy in life because, you know, obviously she doesn't have a good home life. She just wants exactly. to get away from it all. She's just looking for someone that can probably make her laugh or make her happy. Um, except she just doesn't realize that it was really Peter for this long time that, you know, genuinely cared about her and genuinely wanted good things for her. Um, it's that classic thing of like, you know, someone who has a a not great home life is might you know they might go for someone who is not the nicest to them like maybe like flash or something you know yeah maybe if flash was a little more joe manganello then it would have been better but (laughs) maybe if it was like the real version of joe manganello would have been like fine (laughs) but yeah um that's like i never really paid attention much to like the peter mj relationship as a kid but watching it as an adult like you're like what you said keon how um peter's like the only person that really wants you know like good things for her as far as all the characters in the movie maybe yeah, aunt may like who knows a fault, i would say like not necessarily yeah. like a fault for him but like i mean he, you know he's gushing over her, so you, you can't really blame him too much i guess he's he's we have to remember he's still a kid um but you know towards the end of the movie um he cares about her so much actually like this character has like so much of an effect on him uh that he when the opportunity finally presents itself for them to be together um he says no because he wants to you know uh think about her safety and he he does genuinely care for her yeah totally totally freddie you have anything to add no, I don't. I think I, I guess I'm falling into that category. I think she was just the damsel in distress, the love interest for Peter Parker. Uh, for me, she didn't 
add as much to the story. That's just me. Again, my favorite part of this movie was the Green Goblin and Spider-Man together all the time. For for her, it was just kind of like at the end of the day, she was the love interest. But um, I love how you guys are talking about how like you know she always wanted to be with somebody, but it always seemed to be the wrong person and. Peter yeah. was the only one that cared. That's that's definitely true. I definitely read that from this movie, but I mean sometimes that can be read in a totally different way where she always gotta be with somebody, you know. At that point oh, absolutely. at that point she could be just a hoe, you know, looking for someone. But you know <laughs> I mean, we're not gonna get too much into that. But yeah. At, 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 to me she was just uh there to provide someone for Peter to love and have a reason to do stuff because like you know at the very end as soon as green goblin starts mentioning he's gonna kill her slowly that like pushes him off the edge and that sets him forward to like end up defeating the goblin you know right so it's she was there she had a purpose but at the end of the day it's not why i went to go see the movie yeah yeah i I totally get that yeah i would say it's yeah i would also say i didn't I wouldn't go see, to see the movie for their mm-hmm. uh, love interest. Like, I'd say even as a kid, like all that, like, like I was saying, like you guys were probably too. You know, we we all watched it for the Spider-Man stuff. We didn't watch it oh, yeah. for the love and the romance. You know, I remember Connor having an action figure of her Green Goblin and Spider-Man, <laughs> and oh my goodness, we would mess around with those action figures so much we would kill her <laughs> accidentally, like Spider-Man. It was. <laughs> Oh my goodness! I, <laughs> I remember look up that the skirt, like typical <laughs> like creepy peasant boys, because yep. it was the one that was at the Unity Parade or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, and it literally was, had yeah. like the piece of the balcony with it, and she How was in like I that know dress. That's what you were talking about? <laughs> How did I know that was the action figure? Yep, that was the action oh, figure yes. Connor had. Oh, I remember all that. The. Spider-Man action figures <laughs> Connor had. Oh my goodness, we would I, I had um, way too much, bro. Even Doctor Octopus. Yeah, <laughs> the Doctor Octopus one. That's the one I was gonna say, mm-hmm. but that's that. Yeah, we don't need to talk about that right now. <laughs> okay. um, so, yeah. All right, <laughs> I think that's enough on characters. I guess we. Um, well, we should mention J.K. Simmons is the only oh, yeah. J. Jonas oh, Jameson. Yeah, like we just I just have to say that like they even brought him back for the brand new spider-man that's how yep, you know that's great he you know, is exactly that character so that's that's all we yeah. got to say about that i guess we should just uh, uh, can we just do like a quick like we can try sample <laughs> of his quotes <laughs> <laughs> who is spider-man he's a criminal that's who he is a vigilante a public menace what's he doing on my front page if we can get a picture of julia roberts in a thong we can certainly get a picture of this weirdo he doesn't want to be famous, and I'll make him infamous. They're crap. 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 Mega crap. Headline? Spider-Man, hero or menace? Exclusive Daily Bugle photos. Menace? He was protecting that armor. I'll tell you what, Atticus. You take the pictures, I'll make up the headlines, okay? All right? That okay with you? Yes, sir. Goody. Meat. I'll send you a nice box of Christmas meat. Best I can do. Get out of here. Call the patent office, copyright the name Green Goblin. I want a corner every time somebody says it. You don't trust anybody. That's your problem. I trust my barber. <laughs> I, I love, I love J.K. Simmons so much in this mm-hmm. role. It's perfect, perfect casting. Okay, I guess we can move on to our points. I'll let one of you guys go first. 
Keon, I'll, how about let's let you go first? I'm curious to hear a point from you. Okay, yeah. Um, I kind of just like divided it up into four different points. They were music, tone, acting, and plot. Those were like the four things that I was looking at. Um, I don't know. Like of those, which guys, which would you guys like want to hear? To be honest, uh, those kind of those are very close to the, the four points I have. Besides one of the points I have, um, honestly, I feel like we should start with the score, Keon. I. Yeah, I, yeah. I was gonna that's, say it's the first yeah. thing on my list too. Um, I mean, Keon, okay, you go ahead and well, start us let's, off. Let, yeah, let's talk about the elephant in the room, man. Like that, <laughs> I feel like I honestly feel like fifty percent of why that movie was as good as it was was because of the score. Mm-hmm. I will totally agree with that. You know, like mm-hmm. half of the reason that movie is so good is because of just i don't know how much the score resonated like it i i don't know how he did it but it really encapsulated the exact feel of the movie like so well so so well it was almost like he was talking to you you know it was perfect everything about it was perfect it's iconic you know to this day really is people are talking about it like oh you know i better hear that when Toby comes in in the new Spider-Man movie or something, like, I better hear that old soundtrack coming back. You know, everybody, I don't think I've ever talked to someone who was just like, no, I, I hated the score. It was awful. <laughs> Freddie, I'll, I'll let you hit on it, because I think this is oh, my yeah. I, most... Uh, yeah, just go ahead. I, I definitely agree. 50% of this movie, the reason it's good is the score. Like, I... if. The score wasn't as fantastic as it was. I, I, I don't know if I would like this movie as much. Like just the way Danny Elfman was able to convey, you know, of the feeling of Spider-Man without using the classic Spider-Man. No, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. You know, he yeah. he basically reinvented, you know, the sound for Spider-Man. He, he did it with Batman in the '80s as well. So like this guy is obviously great. He just knows how to reinvent a theme for a hero. And I just, I don't know. I remember humming this as a kid. Like, I would play with my toys and I would hum the Spider-Man theme. Even if it wasn't, like, you know, Spider-Man I was playing with. I Still, you know, it was so good. You know, even back in the day, music like this was affecting me. And, you know, I was watch, watching these, watching it twice in a row. You know, this was, my goodness, Danny Elfman was just a standout. Like, I don't, the only other person that could have done as good was John Williams at this time. That's, I believe that. No one else could have done as good as Danny Elfman did it here besides John Williams. And, man, Danny Elfman knocked it right out of the park. It brought me back, you know, 2002. Because, you know, this is, this is definitely a a campier superhero film, but it works for this universe at the same time. Like, I don't hold the 2000s cheese against it because technically that's just (laughs) what this is and it adds to the um nostalgia of this film for me personally i really i don't know i just hearing that score just you know it brings you back to i I feel like it made me take the movie more serious oh yes like it Mm -hmm. made me take the movie more seriously you know absolutely i absolutely agree with that but yeah i love this score like i just like you, Keon, this the score makes fifty percent of this movie. Yeah, and, yeah, man. All right, Connor, let's let's hear what you got to say <laughs> about it. Yeah, so um, 
one of my f- more fond memories um, as a child is me and Keon in the fifth grade singing <laughs> with our stick finger yep. stick figure fingers doing yeah. Spider-Man moves. That was, oh, yeah. um, that, was... that just brings a smile to my face. So that, yeah, that, as a kid, this score affected me yeah. that much to where, like, Keon and I, like, memorized the feel of what was going on like that's spider-man swinging through the city when that happens yeah like when you hear that you know exactly what's happening yeah 100 percent. like and i can i think i can honestly say that no other film score um has affected me on a personal level as much as danny elfman's raimi trilogy score has like all three of them are top notch like it if People think that the third movie sucks, you know, that's fine. But the score does not suck even in that movie. Like, it's it gets better every movie, I think. But it is still, like, amazing here. So for it to even get better than that, like, that is, that's incredible. Um, and it not only, like, it, it definitely fits the feel of this movie. And beyond that, it's even, like, emotionally moving at times. Oh, yeah. Um, there's the scene where where um it's right after the graduation and Peter is sitting alone in his room and he's literally like crying because he misses his uncle Ben. The music that plays there like literally brought tears to my face when I was watching this. I'm going to play the beginning of it for you guys just so you can see, hear what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's already making me emotional again, dang it. That's such, like, it's beautiful. Like, that is pure... Uh, like, you cannot... I, I can't even think of a good adjective for it. It's just pure beauty um, in his score. And it just, like, it. it's not even going for, like, all the time superhero brass trumpets, like, you know, like Superman. Um, it, it takes the time to take a step back and follow the characters and even follow like what they're doing in the movies. Like another classic moment is when Peter is climbing up the wall for the first time. Oh and, yeah. Like, he, and he, goes, he puts his hand on the wall like done, <laughs> done, dun, 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 dun. and it like follows yeah. his hand movements hitting the wall. And that, that's just like the score itself is a character in this movie because it follows like what the characters are doing at almost all times. It's, it's so the, incredible. The major parts of the score, like repeat in in certain uh very like uh uh what's the word like uh like reprisals yeah it's it's a bunch of reprisals in the very important moments of the film like so like that one you were talking about when he was sitting on his bed and it plays that like little theme that plays uh plays right after he watches uncle ben die and then it carries up to this upbeat tempo um because he goes after the the killer um 
you know uh so it it it, it repeats it sounds like sad um they keep the same cadence and then they re i i guess uh re-engineer it, it. To, yeah to make it sound sad to fit the scene but then they can amp it up in a really iconic scene like when he it's a very heroic moment and he's swinging you know from building to building it's still that same cadence but it's just redone yeah definitely and and like what you're saying how they like kind of reuse different um melodies and stuff that it's like each character and really even each idea has its own like theme i guess the i think the technical term is actually like leitmotif like if you're a, a film or if you're a music person but basically what that is it's just like a small melody that repeats at important moments in the story green goblins is i think my favorite one because it, it like it tracks him throughout the movie every time that norman is like being pulled into the goblin especially like that mirror scene it's like the oh yeah it's like you remember you remember that far after you watch the movie and that alone is evidence enough that this score is just incredible I don't know. I could talk forever about the score, but um, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, we we you we've all said it. So if you don't like this score, then I don't I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I'd be curious to see what you do like. <laughs> <laughs> they like the crap music that comes out. <laughs> Sorry. Compared to Dark Tunics, oh. this. <laughs> 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 even though that I feel bad saying it still, even though that nope. was uh, Hans Zimmer. I don't, feel bad. But... I don't care. It was bad. Hans yeah, Zimmer. I don't feel bad. <laughs> they did a bad one. Yeah, this is, I think, my favorite score in any any franchise. So they better bring it back in No Way Home. Like at least parts of it for the characters. I want to see Doc Ock come out, and I want to hear boom, 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 Oh, man. Okay. So I think we should go on to your next point, Keon, because uh, you said you have yeah. music, um, plot, acting, and tone, right? Yes. Yeah. Shall we talk um, about tone? Which, which one did you guys want to touch on? I think we should talk tone. Tone? Yeah. Tone, style, uh, Sam okay. Raimi, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, no. So <laughs> like, I guess like my my like overwhelming impression of the tone that hit me in the face with this was it was campy a bit campy obviously but you could tell that like again it kind of comes back to that passion project thing like you could tell that it was really trying to stay true to its roots like in the comics as much as possible where it could obviously not including the organic web shooters but like you could kind of feel that that was the kind of tone that they were trying to carry over into a film you know yeah definitely. and i feel like that's why it was like campy the way it was first of all it's it's like a product of its time so there's that but then you could tell like it was really trying to stay in touch with like its origins i feel like it wasn't like a shadow of its origins by any means yeah could you uh, provide like a couple examples of like in the movie like when this like when the tone stood out to me yeah yeah um let's see i guess like i guess like one thing is like uh they i think they did a really good job i think we touched on this earlier um with like this the relationship that like and that uh 
Peter and Harry had and how they set it up to have these like struggles that were going to be coming. Um, also just the way that they decided to do Peter as like a character, <laughs> I felt like was a bit like, Oh, this kind of like harkens back to the comics a little bit. Like it feels a bit comic esque, you know, like the way that they're doing it. And like, I think that played into why it felt campy. Um, but I, I really just, I loved like it was campy, but you could tell there was this authenticity behind it like it was it was mostly uh fleshed out in the characters i would say like that's where i was getting like this big like this is what the movie is about this is what it wants to tell you this is how you should be feeling through this i felt that through the characters like i really felt that through peter's character honestly yeah i almost feel like um willem dafoe brings the most camp into this movie out of any character but like, yeah, I would say so. I I, would say I so really love that though. Like, he committed. He committed to it. Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing that people really don't like about this Green Goblin is the costume, and I I, I understand that. Like, it it's dated. It, it's split. I feel like it's split. That's a very like polarized one. You know, it's yeah. like some people really like it, and then some people are just like, "This is awful." Coco Power Rangers. i totally get like the power rangers critique on like the body of the costume but the mask part is like terrifying and i love it so i loved it yeah (laughs) it's literally like really great it scared me as a child like everything every scene green goblin was in like my my family will tell you like when we were watching it i would run out of the room when green goblin appeared for the first time because i was afraid oh, of him like what like what th- that scene when like peter's trying to rescue what he thinks is an old woman in the burning <laughs> the, building the cheapest yeah. jump scare of all <laughs> yeah and that scared me as a kid man oh, oh my, my god, god. I know. <laughs> do you think that he was actually screaming that noise or or like did he just have like a sound effect (laughs) dude (laughs) there's a chance because there was a movie where he does play a cross-dressing fbi agent or something i mean it was convincing i'll tell you what i could see william defoe committing to that level i'll be honest i could see that And then he just takes off, like, the little, like, you know, shawl or whatever. Like, and he's just like, you're so unbelievably predictable. <laughs> no one says no uh, to me. Great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no one says no to me. Uh, and then he screams again. <laughs> yeah. Some of the things that he says are so Shakespearean, and I just love it. Betrayal must not be countenanced. Parker must be educated. Jameson, you slime! You and I are not so different. No one says no to me! I'm going to rectify certain inequities. Hello, my dear. Instruct him in the matters of loss and pain. You're pathetically predictable. Let die the woman you love, or suffer the little children. The cunning warrior attacks neither body nor mind. We are who we choose to be. Now choose! Out am I! You know how much I sacrificed? The heart, Osborne. First, we attack his heart. (laughs) (laughs) We really kind of got off on a tangent there, talking about Green Goblin again. Um, 
But maybe that's maybe that's okay. I, maybe I mean, we should I, just talk I, about Green Goblin because I I really do think it does add to it though. Like like it really it really sets the tone. I think the main thing in this is like that really like set the tone was the characters. You know, like sometimes it's 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 it can be found more so in the plot than the characters. Like the plot is or the characters are being moved around by the plot. Whereas like in this, it's more so about the character moving forward in the story and then the story is changing based off what the character's doing mm -hmm. right um and so i feel like it really was like heavily like that i feel like that's like how the tone was being set up um which makes sense for a superhero movie because it's all about like the hero having to make these choices and then the villain and all the other side characters like playing these small parts that kind of have this domino effect ultimately like ending the movie with the hero having to make a big choice or something yeah well yeah. yeah i mean it all boils down to the most famous line from this movie <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility that is literally yeah. the tone of this that's film. the theme yeah because you just see like green goblin gets power spider-man gets the power and they're both going through these changes and they have to decide mm -hmm. how they want to use that power you know spider-man because of easily using this power to be a, a bad guy like easily stolen oh, yeah. cars to impress mj and of course we all know that would like just go the opposite way you know it's not at the root that's not who mj is she's a good person exactly. she wouldn't care about that but like literally like that's just like that's the theme that that quote like holds all this film together for me because like you could just you just see that one sentence, like becoming an entire movie, and it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I love it. There's a yeah. there's I a like reason it's the most famous line in the movie. Cliff yeah. Robertson did a wonderful job in the limited screen time he had, oh, and that dude, was the amazing. climax of his role. Such an impactful performance! Like mm -hmm. that was great, man. Oh god to this day it still makes me uh, emotional watching it, that. Like because he he just did a great job. He feels like your uncle, like. He does, yeah. He is the world's Uncle Ben, you know? <laughs> Another thing that I actually, as far as, like, tone, that really sets up, like, the tone for this movie is I love how they treated New York City, like, in oh. Citizens, as a living and breathing character. You know? Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, how, mm -hmm. towards the end, uh, <laughs> the people of New York are helping out Spider-Man by throwing stuff at Green Goblin as he's holding the, the, the you know, the cart up and he's holding MJ. And they're like, yeah, why would you do that to a bunch of kids, man? It's like, you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. And it really just kind of encapsulates, like, what New York is about or, like, you know, like, a very positive outlook on if this was a reality, like, as far as, like, a hero being there. And that, I think, just really adds to the tone of what they were wanting to do. You know, like, it's just one of those key points where you're just like, oh, so this is what they're trying to paint. This is what they're trying to, you know, show me. Mm -hmm. Well, like, it almost had to. Remember, this is 2002. This is one year after the worst disaster in America, 9-11, yeah. which is yeah. consequently really weird today oh. and, you know, current time. So, like, this movie had to just lift New York up. I feel. Oh it, yeah, man. Like yeah. all the responsibility of being true to the comic. And I also think it because of the events that happened, it had a second responsibility to show New York, you know, they're strong, they're united. You mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. Like I think 
at the end of the day like i think it did a very good job of that too like and even if like the terrible events hadn't happened you know it's still a cool way to see that new york is such a you know a united city like the way they see green goblin as a piece of poo you know that's just goblin poo (laughs) they're like nah nah if they if you're a piece of crap you know we're gonna call you out on that you know you can't mess with a guy who's just trying to be a good guy save kids from fires you know stop people from stealing purses can't you know hit on him and expect not us you know hit back which even carries through to the next movie i don't remember if it does in the third one as much but i definitely know the next movie Mm mm-hmm they carry this New York, you know, you mess with Spider-Man, you mess with all of us kind of thing. Exactly. Because like Spider-Man is just kind of like, it's like, it's like, he's kind of like the embodiment of something that, you know, inspires people. And like, the, it's like, he's the face of New York, you know, it's like, he's like every good thing about New York put into a person, you know, he's defending everybody's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, you know, it's just like, it was really cool to see that, you know, paralleled the other way with the city backing him up. Yeah. Yeah. This is, that's one of the one things that really irritates me about the, the Tom Holland movies is that they're not even really set in New York. Like they are like the first one is, and, but it's more like, I guess, Brooklyn, I mean, sorry, Mm -hmm. Queens. Um, but they don't ever like, they don't make you feel like he's like, the new york like like the ground level hero like these movies did and like you get that amazing scene at the beginning or uh, towards the middle of this movie and it's literally just a montage of like a bunch of random different new yorkers and like what they think about this new spider-man and you get a range of different like perspectives like <laughs> it's like that's actually a really funny scene uh because it's it's just like well done like comedically but it it also shows you like that character side of it like new york is a character and like this is their spider-man don't mess with him exactly yeah i i totally agree with that um i guess there is kind of a difference between tone and style but when when you first said tone i thought you were wanting to talk about sam raimi's style of film which is is different because there's like there's that campiness to it and it they kind of there's an overlap there but like sam raimi definitely has a a very um like (laughs) bold style like easy to see and it makes me curious to see how uh, dr strange and the multiverse of madness is gonna go because he's directing that i'm very interested to see how that that plays out but like in this movie (laughs) there's some weird stuff in here like just like a couple weird cuts like you have a random out of nowhere goblin jump scare when peter wakes up at the hospital like oh yeah <laughs> just like random stuff like that it like where it's just kind of like uh jarring for a minute uh but uh, i it, it doesn't work for everyone i and i totally understand why some people wouldn't like that especially like looking back on it now uh just you know having people think maybe it's dated or whatever I don't see that at all, and I could totally attribute that to my nostalgia for the movie, but I love the style of this movie. It's so unique. It's it's not stale for me. It it just it's refreshing every time I go back and rewatch this movie. Well, like I I I can I definitely see you know what you're talking about. Um one of the things I love about this movie is the transitions between scenes. It's just so 
2002. It's just classic. It it's like it's like whenever you watch Star Wars. Star Wars that has those like the fades across the screen or the fades up from the screen and this <laughs> this is definitely more creative with the transitions like it would zoom in on something and then when it was zooming out you would be somewhere else or something like that. I can't think of specifics. I just know every time I saw a transition even as campy as it was. I don't know. I loved it. I love the kind of cheesy transitions you can get from these older movies. I think the funniest one is when back. is when Green Goblin says, "No one says no to me." And then it literally like flames come up and then the next scene he's on the elevator. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, I I I love I love stuff like that. I don't know why. And then like even the transition where Peter first shoots his web out really far and he's swinging. He's like, ah, and he hits the board <laughs> and it just transitions to him running up to the house. And it's like, that's so cheesy, but I love it. I'd like, I, I love that kind of little transition. I agree. Yeah. It's, it's so good. Uh, anything else we wanted to talk about with style? Um, there's some stuff that I want to talk about with visual stuff, but I, that's kind of another point. I don't want to. I don't want to like bring that into here unless you guys want me to talk about visual effects. Oh, I'm I'm open to talking about it. All right. Sweet. Are you talking about the CGI and stuff like that? So photography. It's a two part point. Uh, that is part of it, and I guess we can maybe start with that because that is a little bit of an elephant in the room. CGI is is not really that good here. That's probably one of my biggest um, it is downfalls garbage. with the movie. <laughs> there's like there's some scenes where the CGI is pretty rough, and I don't know if it's like I don't know what other CGI was like at this time. I would hope that this isn't like the worst of 2002 had to offer, but um, like a couple examples when he's um pursuing uncle ben's killer right like right after he he like holds his hand and uncle ben dies that scene looks so fake man like yeah he's like running super fast he just looks like a pc uh animation and like he's like climbing up the walls and stuff i don't know if it's because that was like nighttime and they couldn't light it well or what because the very end of the movie when he's swinging through new york like hero- heroically right before the credits roll that looks great like i don't have any problems with how that looks yeah it's either i feel like it's a mixture of limitations of the time and then budgeting maybe maybe budgeting because like there were scenes that like what you're saying that looked great they hold up great but then there's like that one where you're saying like when he's running on the rooftop for the first time and it's that aerial view of him running yeah. on the rooftop and it just looks like a little string man like a string cheese man like <laughs> running on the roof i i think they mastered the actual spider-man suit like the suit we see i mean there are some shots with that suit that are kind of bad but they mastered that one but when they had to do him and his like first spider-man suit and then even before they just it was just hard. They couldn't get past that uncanny valley where he looks like a wet noodle flopping around, <laughs> you know, in New York. And I think they were trying to hide it. That's why they did it at night, because usually to hide bad CGI, you'll use nighttime. So you don't have to light it up as bright as normal. But it just I don't know. It didn't help. And on top of that, you know, I have a I have a 52 inch TV. 
it did not look <laughs> that great on this TV. And I just saw all the flaws with his this noodle man noodling around New York for like when he was first. As soon as he's in the regular, the good Spider-Man suit is what I'm going to call it. It got, it definitely got a little better. It got a lot better in my opinion. I, I didn't even put that together, but you're right, Freddie. I think that that is why. I think that they really did master the the actual Spider-Man suit and then they just didn't have the budget or drop the ball on the rest of it. Um, and then the other C- the other CGI part that was absolutely terrible, I think it might be like the worst looking scene in the movie, is when they're at the parade and Green Goblin is already off of his go- uh, his glider, but it's the part specifically when the glider comes back and he jumps on it and it like he kind of like floats up a little bit, but his proportions are like they do not match the framing of that <laughs> shot at all, and it looks so bad. I I think that's like the the worst one for me. I think I I don't like that one. I I think I like that one even less than like the nighttime CGI crap. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I think that if they had maybe had a higher budget, that some of those things could have been ironed out, and it definitely True. gets fixed in the next movies because I'm sure they had mm-hmm. increased budget from the success of the first one. So, but yeah, like I would say if this. Again, if this movie didn't have a good, good writers behind it, this would not be a good movie. Like this, I'm sorry, this would not just that that old CGI would just ruin it for me. But I think because of the, I I love the writing and stuff like that in this film. It it kept me on. It kept me invested in the story because that CGI. Oh, it's just especially when we first start seeing it, it's just not good. <laughs> Just not good. Like it's watching a a floppy noodle (laughs) jumping around New York City is all I see, man. Well, we'll definitely talk about um, plot and writing next. But the other part to my point about the visualization, the visual stuff is um, the like the set dressing and the like. um, I guess primarily the set dressing because that was fantastic. It was so good, right? Like movies don't put this much detail in anymore. Oh no. Yeah. It's all CGI nowadays. Norman's living room basically is perfect for him. Like it's like this cold, uninviting, unnecessarily fancy place. And the colors, like there's green everywhere. Like, the carpets are green, the columns are green. There's, like, these tribal masks everywhere, which, like, a- again, goes to, like, that green goblin mask. It kind of, like, provides a reason for why he-, he created such a creepy mask. Because he's some sort of, like, aficionado of tribal masks. A really weird Norman Osborn thing to do. But, like, the, the set dressing is so good. Like, it... it-, it- it ties into like the characterization too, because you have that on one hand and then you have like Peter's bedroom. And that's like, a, you know, a, a high school nerd teenager. There's science experiments everywhere. There's posters all over the wall. There, I, there's literally like a D and D poster on the wall and um, like drawings that he's made and stuff like that. And the, the um, colors again, like his wallpaper is blue. And I, um, you can, if you look closely, you can even see like a webbing pattern on the wallpaper. Really, really cool detail there. Like they nailed it with all of those like tiny, tiny details in all of the sets. 
in this movie. And I really, really appreciated the effort that they put into that. Even just like the the New York alleyways and like <laughs> the outside of New York whenever there was like a, um, you know, just like a sequence to be had. Amazing. Like it, it was so convincing. It looked great. Or when he fights Bonesaw, that whole place <laughs> was great. Mm-hmm. Boom! is ready. <laughs> I got you for three minutes. Three minutes of playtime. <laughs> Randy Savage, man. <laughs> Randy Savage, man. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, I'm so glad that they got him to play Bone Saw. Perfect Bone Saw. Oh, 100%, man. <laughs> Okay, that's that's about all I had on like the visual like the visual stuff. Um, there, there's one other specific thing that I want to talk about, but it, it's more of like a it's visual at the same time as like plot, but it's kind of like a filmmaking thing. So we'll we'll talk about plot. Yep, yep, yep. Freddie, you were starting to get into that, so I'm gonna let you start with that one. Yeah, absolutely. So our our next point is gonna be the uh, the plot of this film and you know the writing of this movie and uh if you heard me earlier i said this is the reason that kept me around because you know the cgi work wasn't amazing but it was 2002 you have to kind of excuse that we don't have the technology we didn't have technology we have today um but man i loved this the writing of this film uh you know there's definitely times where it's kind of campy especially um Whenever Peter's in the car with his uncle and he kind of does his, like, teenager get-out-of-the-car thing. Like, you're not my dad kind of thing. That's a, that's a little campy. But, like, there's not much campiness to this script. Even though that's kind of what Sam Raimi was known for. He definitely did a really good job of keeping, like, the story wholesome. And you guys mentioned earlier, you know, I think you guys said that William Defoe definitely held a lot of the campiness in this film and you know even though that that's definitely kind of true he was still able to like when he's not the goblin he was still able to deliver his lines you know brilliantly even like the line you know i'm somewhat of a scientist myself you know it's (laughs) again a meme but it's still like it's so fitting for a norman osborne character to say that like oh yeah you know i'm i'm only the biggest you know scientists in the world owning the company that supplies weapons to the military and stuff like that but i don't know i just i love the writing of this movie the even like the plot you know it's your basic simple super person plot you know as i was saying earlier with great power comes great responsibility it you know that's the blood of this whole project and i don't know i i really enjoyed that that aspect of this film i really appreciated how amazingly the writing was you know written out and even like the execution because you know a film can be written greatly but execution can be terrible and you know it just just all came together to make a wonderful film that's you know i could i could probably watch this over and over again you know i always forget to watch the sam raimi movies you know there i guess i watched them so many times as a kid I just, you know, kind of moved on from them. But coming back to it, I'm kind of like, wow, you know, I need to watch this at least once a year. This is, I need to appreciate this art because it's, it's beautiful at the end of the day. So how do you guys feel about all this? Um, 
Yeah, I agree with you. I I think I actually kind of think it is a little bit more campy than you than you seem to think it is, Freddie. Um, because there are there are some like definitely like some cheesy moments, like when Peter um wakes up, at, like he literally looks like Steve Rogers before the super serum, and then falls asleep, and then when he wakes up, he's like ripped. That whole scene is so like change yeah big change and it's just like it's so like <laughs> like awkward and campy but it works for me like it, it fits the tone of the movie very well um but yeah like it's beyond that like the the um storyline they're going for the the lifeblood as you called it freddie like it's so well done like the whole idea of there being like two people coincidentally who get superpowers at the same time um where at one of them it's pretty much an accident with Peter, but Norman it's it's more like intentional. So that even like the intentions behind it even kind of sh- like show you a little bit about the character, which is also great. Um, and but like the it's so interesting to watch it at the same time the movie because their arcs are really like uh, going parallel together and crossing paths at the scene when they um, are at the Thanksgiving dinner when and that's when norman like figures out you know (laughs) once and for all that that uh, peter parker is spider-man and that's like the the turning point of the movie at that point like there's no really there's not any turning back because norman knows now and even with that they did that so well because norman himself like he doesn't want to hurt peter because he looks at him like a surrogate child but the goblin is like you are weak like <laughs> just like goblin basically convinces him to do it anyway and so that even was there's a little bit of tragedy to that part of it too but yeah just the whole idea of them um like using their power the right way like you go from that scene for peter where he's where he's basically like stop pretending to be my dad to the very end of the movie right before Norman dies he's like I had a father his name was Ben Parker and that that's the line that like solidifies he's made it in his arc like he is he's gotten there actually I mean I guess you could also argue that when he's talking to Mary Jane and he basically (laughs) denies her that's also a very good moment (laughs) that shows you how far he's come to um but yeah I, I think they did it well yep friend zoning Mary Jane what a shame right, what do you think about the writing Keon oh I, I thought the plot was great um, I will say like something that kind of goes into a nitpick type territory is like it, it starts off a bit slow like a slow sort of like a slow burn I guess you could say to set up like the characters um, but you were definitely rewarded with nice character arcs like there are those times where it can sometimes feel like it stays on one note a bit too long emotionally. Like it just kind of just like hovers over something for a little bit too long. Um, but uh, like at the end of the day, it's still getting from point A to point B. The story is still being told. It's being told in a very specific way to highlight something. And I feel like that's Peter Parker's journey to the end point from, you know, A to B being a Peter Parker nerd who no one really looked at to be the hero of New York, Spider-Man, everybody's looking at him. (laughs) Um, And the choices that he makes along the way to not let it go to his head or make the wrong choices or, you know, become like the Green Goblin, which is honestly kind of like a foil for what Peter could have been 
You know, he could have he could have easily just gone down the re- the route of letting the power go to his head and then who's going to stop him type thing. To but to be like fair, um, Norman didn't choose that. He the gas made him insane. You know, like it, it, it created a split personality that became the Green Goblin, and he was uh, you know too far gone by the end of it uh, to be saved. He was he was gonna be. He was going to be uh, messed up uh, permanently from that. but um, The goblet did. No, I, I, I really do. do with it. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I really do like um, the whole idea of the log line being with great power c- comes great responsibility and like stick to your roots and don't forget who you are um, and how that stays with Peter throughout the entirety of the movie and it changes and evolves in certain ways but it ends up uh with him accepting it you know and becoming the hero that you know he wants to be and the hero that he thinks would make uncle ben proud and all of that stuff i think it was for the story that they were writing trying to tell everybody i think it was executed uh very well i think they executed the idea that they had Uh, very very well i think one thing that toby does really well in this movie is show very subtle moments where he has potential to go down a negative character arc instead of the positive one like it's those beginnings of what comes to fruition with the black suit and sees in in movie three but like it's it's here even it's just very subtle because it's like He's kind of smug when he like first becomes Spider-Man or like when he first gets the powers, not when he becomes Spider-Man, but like he lets the guy go. A hundred bucks. The ad said three thousand. Well, check it again, webhead. It said three grand for three minutes and you pinned them in two. For that, I give you a hundred and you're lucky to get that. I need that money. I missed the part where that's my problem. Put the money in the bag. Stop it! He's got my money! Thanks. What the hell's the matter with you? You let him go. You could have taken that guy apart. Now he's going to get away with my money. I missed the part where that's my problem. You know what I mean? Like, he's still got that kind of smugness about him, and it takes Uncle Ben's death, unfortunately, to kind of, like change his perspective i guess you can say it's like it's highlighting how he could have like if he had just made the like quote right choice like i feel like anybody in that situation would have let that guy go you know like like this guy's ripping me off i'm gonna let this guy go um but it it highlights the idea that like had he just made the right choice like taking the higher route um this wouldn't have happened like uncle ben would still be alive um and so he feels very guilty because of all that and that stays with him for the rest of the movie after that you know like he was it was a very human moment right there like that one time that he just kind of like is like i have no reason to really stop him you know like this is revenge for what you did to me um but it ends up of course coming back and biting him in the butt because this is the origins of like a superhero and they need some sort of catalyst to really start them off, you know, because otherwise Peter would have just kept doing what he was doing. I feel like, you know, he would have 
kept going down that path where he's like, you know, I don't really have to be a hero of New York or something. I'm just going to kind of do my own thing. And But then, you know, that happens, and he's really reminded of, like, again, that one line with great power comes great responsibility. Um, do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Uh, yeah, I yeah. think they pulled it off very well. And for someone like him, with all the crap that he deals with on a daily basis, like with just people teasing yeah, him and, resonates and so much more beating him up like what could you could you expect anything else like for him to have these powers and then like do everything that he's ever wanted to with him yeah so, yeah absolutely yeah like sense. go and just beat the crap out of flash every other day you know rob whatever he wanted to rob uh all that stuff you know all that stuff he could have done he could have done a number of things but uh he was raised really well he was raised really well. Yep. You guys have anything else on writing or plot? Nope, I do not. Um, I think that might be where I might have to head on out. Okay. Uh, Keon, do you want to give your score for this movie really Ooh, okay. quick? Like one out of ten? One or out like, of ten, yeah. Okay, one to ten. Um, just as like an overall movie. Oh yeah, like I mean, it's, this is your per- personal um, opinion, but yeah. Well, yeah, since it's my personal opinion, I'm going to let nostalgia play a part in here, which is biased, but you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm gonna give it. It's hovering right around a seven or eight for me. Eight sounds about right, I'd say. Okay. For me. Awesome, um, Keon. Thank you for joining us on this episode we always it's always a pleasure to have you on so mm-hmm. um we really yep. appreciate you taking the time uh if you guys want to find Keon, he's on instagram he's a, a budding actor <laughs> uh if you if you want to like tell them where they can find you that's up to you Keon. i'm not gonna give away your information if you don't want me to <laughs> oh no you're totally good um yeah no i like uh connor was saying yeah i'm on instagram uh but that's just Keon underscore Matakavari, uh, K-E-O-N-M-O-T-A-K-H-A-V-E-R-I. Uh, that is me. Um, but yeah, no, I absolutely loved this. I wish I could have stayed for longer. No, no um, worries. No but worries. no, I thank you guys for having me on yeah, as bro. well. Um, I was really cool to you know, like you know come and come and do this. This is always a really fun time, especially for you know a movie like this. Oh yeah. As much as it affected our childhoods, like I, I, I would have wanted to do this with none other than you two. So oh, yeah, again, is, thank yeah. you. All right, man. Well, we'll talk to you later. Okay. Yeah. Y'all take it easy. That was, uh, um, right. that was a whole lot of fun. <laughs> All right, man. Anytime, anytime. Sure thing, man. See, you later, See ya. Boss. All right, Freddie, I think that we should still finish out our discussion if you're still good with that. Yeah, I'm still good. I think uh, I'm good to move on to nitpicks if you are. Yes, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I have a lot. <clears throat> I'll Dude, I'll let you go first because, I, I... <laughs> honestly, you might have some that I have, but I want to know what yours are now. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to go with my first one. And um, when you first see these actors, I was like, yeah, these are not high schoolers. Nah. 
these kids these are not kids like <laughs> i think about our all. high school i just i'm like like we were getting <laughs> older but we weren't in our 30s yet like obviously sometimes people are late 20s early 30s like i was just like these are not high school even with them being in their senior year like they yeah, still just look so not, freaking old just, just doesn't work i was just like so it also made me glad he graduated because it started making sense after that like that their ages but i mean that was definitely the approach for <laughs> this this film franchise for these first it's three. literally jarring to the point that the teacher on the field trip with them looks like <laughs> he he's five years younger than them <laughs> I, I always like i thought he was a student like both times i watched it I he did. always caught me off guard <laughs> i was like oh that's right he's the teacher but john megan yellow looks older than this guy so i don't know what to think about this <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness it's yep. so weird it was yeah. weird I, i'm totally with you there <laughs> and um you just go through all of them okay rapid fire right, so my next one is um peter is bitten by a brand new species of spider tells no one <laughs> tells no one and then he develops this giant white welt on his hand that you know an average human would be like this is concerning maybe i should go somewhere or at least tell the doctors while he's there that he was bitten by this spider now but i'll be honest he could have become a science experiment after that and we wouldn't have spider-man but like that is true come on like Dude, you were just bitten by a new species of spider. We don't even know if it's like venomous toxic to humans yet or what it can affect. And then that kind of even leads into the next nitpick, which is, oh yes, great. We just genetically engineered new spider. And um, when there's one out of the cage, it's fine. Don't worry. One of the scientists is working on it. That's the... Like, you don't go tell someone about this. Like, come on. Like, one of them is missing. That's not good. Because if that thing gets out into the wild and starts reproducing and it's a very bad kind of spider, you just screwed the entire world by introducing a new <laughs> species of spider. Just, just, there would be so many Spider-Men. Yep. Assuming that spider can go and lay eggs. Yep. Right? Like, just, like, they just don't. There's no control. Unless it's like a wasp, or I mean, unless it's like a bee, where when it bites you, it dies or something like that. True. But that doesn't make sense. It it crawled away. It crawled away after it. I know. And then he kept so vicious too when it bites him. It did. It's literally like the way it sinks its (laughs) fangs into him. It was, and it had no reason to. I don't like spiders bite because they're provoked. This spider was just chilling on his hand for a little bit, and it decided time to bite and it bit like ferociously like an angry dog it just just tore into this guy's flesh i was like okay it's a little aggressive spider i i i I just i want to know more the science part of this like after he left did they start looking for the missing spider and wonder what happened like and then maybe when they saw spider-man start coming around they were like did we do that like i just (laughs) 
I want to. I want to. Like, a short story about the scientists after Peter Parker left and became Spider-Man. <laughs> but it's funny because it, it's this is a common thread in this universe where scientists don't care because in Spider-Man Three we see the same crap <laughs> and that's why we have Sandman. It's probably a change in the silicon mass. Probably just a bird. Oh, just a bird. <laughs> yep. I was just, oh my goodness, I was just, I was like, really? We, we, we're just doing this now? Oh, <laughs> uh, let me see my next one. Okay, so remember, it's right after Peter Parker gets assigned to take pictures, or he sees the ad to take pictures for Spider-Man. Um, did he wait for that crime to happen? Or while that crime was starting to happen, did he take the time to set up the cameras around the area so he could get good pictures of himself? <laughs> like, did he let those guys start to get robbed and then start taking pictures? That is a very good point. Like, like I was, I was like, wait a minute, Peter, did you let people get robbed so you could take pictures of them? It's literally, like, that's the scene where it's like a bunch of different robbers too, right? And they're like, yeah. watch the streets. Mm-hmm, yeah, and it starts off where like, you see the guy get punched in the back of the vehicle, and then it's slowly panning out, and you see the camera spiderweb to like a light pole, and you're like, wait a minute, did Peter Parker set up <laughs> cameras while these people were starting to get robbed, and then just kind of let it happen until he needed to get some good pictures? Shame on you, Peter Parker. You should not do that. <laughs> All for Jameson to just call them mega crap. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. I was like, oh my goodness. He did all that, and then that's just how it ended. That's not the first time that... that there's another nitpick that I have that Peter should have acted sooner than he actually did. It's the one where the freaking goblin comes in and starts... F- bombing people literally people are dying (laughs) and then he has time to throw several bombs before peter's sitting there with his camera still finally realizes he needs to do something and pulls those people out because they're about to get hit by falling rubble keep in mind that's like the second bomb at this point there's already been another one thrown he should have jumped immediately into action with the first bomb Mm -hmm. like and the instant he because he even had the spider sense to warn him and he still waits (laughs) Yep. Peter, what are you doing? <laughs> Peter. Not on top of his game at first. <laughs> it's okay, so this one was like a nitpick slash question, but I'm gonna say it because I put nitpick next to it. So mm-hmm. when Peter it's like right when um MJ is getting robbed by those guys, right before this, Peter was like, Oh, I was in the neighborhood. After the fight, MJ confronts him and is talking to him. He repeats this same line over again. (laughs) And I was like, how did MJ not know he was (laughs) Spider-Man? Like, at that moment, she should have been like, Peter? And he would, knowing his his dumb self, he'd be like, yeah? Oh, oh no! Like, that... (laughs) That totally should have happened in this movie. And I, I, I understand why. It saves it for the next film. But I just... Oh my gosh, that's like such a good point. she would have caught on to that. You know, I feel like she would have been like, oh, wait a minute. I just heard <laughs> that same doesn't even change from, his voice. Nope, he doesn't. I'm like... I was in the neighborhood. <laughs> I was in the neighborhood. She should have been like, Peter? 
<laughs> like I was like, oh my god, why did she not know he was Spider-Man until oh the next gosh. movie? <laughs> well, technically, be... there is that scene at the end of this one where, like, after they kiss, it's again a delayed reaction because she doesn't recognize it when she should. But they kiss, and then they, and then Peter basically friend zones her, takes the time to have that dialogue, a good minute and a half worth of dialogue. Peter starts to walk away. And then MJ touches her lips like she realizes, like, it reminded her of Spider-Man kiss. So uh, it's, it's weird. It's like they forget about that, almost, kind of, not really. I don't know. I, ha- I haven't seen the second one in a while, so oh, man. that'll be interesting to see if it carries through. Oh, but um, so and then I think I'm going to end with my last one. And it was uh, it's the final battle between Green Goblin and Peter Parker. So Green Goblin throws in a pumpkin bomb and you see it and it's right next to Peter's face. It (laughs) blows up and all that comes off is some of his mask. Yep. (laughs) I I know he's he's got a super healing ability and he's strong, but that should have torn off flesh. (laughs) He should have lost an arm or something like I don't know what great these bombs are or anything, but, you know, they were blowing up people earlier and killing him but peter parker just gets a some of his mask removed and some blood coming out of his nose and lip i was like no i I think it'd be a little worse i think he'd have some shrapnel in his face and his body like it's just just not how bombs work or i mean maybe that's how green goblins bombs work maybe they blow up and the shrapnel incinerates before it gets anywhere but i feel like he would have been a little more messed up than he actually got from the bomb i mean it is a running just, thing in just, these movies just, because harry er, uh, peter does the same thing to harry and the bomb explodes right next to his face but in that case it actually does like mangle his face a little bit and it's mm-hmm. just as close as it was to <laughs> peter in this movie mm, see i don't know I, I still no shrapnel though. i guess they're like oh he's spider-man he's spider-man he can survive that i think even spider-man would have a tough time actually getting through a grenade to the face if we're being honest (laughs) yeah that's a great point um since you just brought up that scene i forgot to talk about that but that is one of the things that i wanted to talk about in like the main point section Mm -hmm. dude freddy that freaking final battle is so brutal it's like they're not holding any punches back. Literally, they're not. Because, like, um, Green Goblin is just destroying Peter. Like, absolutely demolishing him. And they literally just let him take it. Like, for a long mm-hmm. time, too. Until he takes says the line about MJ. And then it kind of changes pace. But, my God. Like, I don't think that there's another final superhero battle. Like, in a superhero movie... Not not counting ensemble pieces, but just like straight up one on one fights. Mm-hmm. That is that like visceral, and it's one yeah. of my favorite of all time. Like of all superhero movies, it's literally one of my favorite superhero battle scenes. It's so good. What yeah, are your I thoughts on that old... scene, other than the bomb? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the only other one I can think that was only that kind of comes close but isn't even as close as this the battle in civil war between 
Iron Man, Captain America, and Winter Soldier. I think it's the only other one that mm. kind of gets to that level. But even then, this one still tops that on the brutality because Green Goblin's throwing Spider-Man around like a ragdoll and Spider-Man just has to... He's trying his best to get out of it and it just doesn't work until one small moment where he's able to get the upper hand and take Goblin out as quickly as he can because he's like, I can't. You know, I can't take any more hits from this guy. This guy, you know, he's essentially <laughs> he's a, a super soldier. Yeah, he's essentially a super soldier. That, that serum, like, enhanced his strength and stuff, right? To my knowledge. Yeah, it did. So, yeah, like, totally. his punches are probably even harder than Peter's. So, when he's getting hit, like, it, it probably hurts. And you can even tell, like, in Tobey Maguire's facial expressions he uses, like, it's, well, it's painful. Yeah, that was some of his better acting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, oof, it was. You're right. This was definitely a brutal fight, and I almost think it's because Sam Raimi has that, you know, horror background. He yeah. was like, "This is how a superhero fight would be. The guys would be winded, beaten, and bloody." And it was, it was. It's a very, it's a very good fight, and you know, it's not like too CGI heavy either. Like it's, it's a pretty. That's what I love fight. about it besides mm-hmm. like the glider but like i mean even at some points the glider was a real like prop on set but yeah it's it's a very grotesque battle so yeah, yeah. anyway that was probably one of my like favorite scenes in the movie i can't watch that scene with still without like kind of cringing a little bit at how violent mm-hmm. it is but i love it oh, like yeah. it's so good so well done and because you feel like you're in the fight too like the the cutting of it the editing and like the the shots it's it's all really really well done but that will bring me to my nitpicks now all right so um why is it that it took so long for peter and norman to meet in such like a weird moment like peter and harry are supposed to be like good friends so you would have thought that especially with uh, peter having written a paper about norman at some point that harry his best friend would have you know introduced him to his dad for mm-hmm. goodness sakes but that never happens until a coincidence basically that makes them meet right before the field trip yeah that is true i guess it's like hey my dad is Orn osborne know you like this guy they totally would have connected and like you know that totally could have added to like peter seeing him get killed like seeing this guy that you know he respects and he has to like he has to take him down and you know ends up seeing his death right before his eyes that would totally added to it if they tried to work it in where you know norman osborne's like oh hey peter it's nice to see you again i I at the same time it I, I guess this is because this was an introduction. They felt like they had to introduce everyone to you in a way. I guess yeah. that's maybe that's how they felt. I'm not sure. I didn't write the movie. I wasn't there when it was made. So who knows why they ended up going the direction they would. But, I mean, we still got what we got. But you are right. <laughs> I feel like Harry should have been like, oh, yeah, that's my dad. Or, like, I don't know. I feel like it would have played better too, just in terms of like impact on Peter's life, because I think like the the time passing is a little weird in this movie, but you have graduation to Thanksgiving 
which is May to November, so roughly six months. I um, that's like that's how long he's known Norman. So yeah, I guess it would still be sad if he looked up to him as like a mentor, but it's not a, really a ton of time to like have a mentor figure in your life. So I think it would have played better if he was like, ah, Peter, how are you doing? And like, you know, patted his back or something, whereas he didn't touch Harry like at all. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, <laughs> this one's kind of funny. Why in the world does the Green Goblin have a bomb that literally vaporizes people and turns them into skeletons? <laughs> and And number two, how does that work? Like, <laughs> that is the most weird scene in this movie. When he's like, literally throws a bomb. There's a ton of people on this balcony, but only the board members turn into skeletons. And it looks terrible, too. The CGI there is mm-hmm. pretty bad as well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's actually, like, I... Uh, <laughs> yeah, what did, what did you think about that? It's, like, it's, you did are, that not, like... You are right. It's, like, just goes off and turns them, turns their, you know skin and organs and everything to ash but their bones i don't know maybe it was like some sort the only thing i can think of is like some sort of dna bomb that like recognized their dna and then just you know if just incinerated everything but their bones i guess bones aren't susceptible to incineration is what this bomb was made i don't know it is weird though it was so weird it it literally kind of takes me out of the movie a little bit but I remember, like, when I was a kid, I'd actually, like, kind of terrified me that there was something that, like, the potential of there being something that could literally turn you into a skeleton. I don't know why, but I think the the reason they did that was just because they didn't want to, like, go above a PG-13 rating. But it, now, now looking at it, it just looks pretty dated, I guess. It doesn't really fit for me. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. The only other time I can think of like people incinerating and their bones being left is Terminator Two, where um, you see like the mom of the kid, she's like holding onto the fence in a dream sequence, and the nuclear bomb goes off, and all that's left is her bones, and they're just hanging on, flopping. I don't know. Maybe he took influence from that movie. I have no clue. Maybe. And again, that's a dream, though. So mm-hmm. Yeah, it actually makes more sense. In the reality. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who knows who knows so next one when they're when they are about to have their thanksgiving dinner they're all like waiting for peter and they hear a thud upstairs for some reason the entire group of people decides to go up to peter's room to see if he's there like this is a building with other stories and other people around that that could that thud could have been anything for one and for two why do you all have to go up and find peter in his room like just send harry up he's the one who lives there true true but like every time i watch that i just think of the superhero movie i i know it's wrong but i just think of the superhero <laughs> movie where he's on the roof and he's peeing <laughs> that's yeah. all i think about now so like I feel like that scene has been tainted for me <laughs> because of that. I don't know why it's just that one scene because, you know, superhero movie makes fun of this movie in its the entirety. The entire movie, yeah. But, like, that Titanium one blades. scene. They exactly. Like, diamonds. even that, like, even when that scene happened, I didn't think, I thought Titanium Blades, but it didn't take me away from Spider-Man. Whenever yeah. he's on the roof, though, I always just think of... 
I just I think of the water water hose pee pee sprinkler pee. But like also also before I move on, I forgot that Harry and Peter moved in together in this movie. Oh yeah, it, they don't bring much attention to it really. They don't. Like there's not a scene that shows you when they moved in together. They just have this quick little dialogue with Mary and Jane. I feel She's like, like you're that, living together, aren't you? Yeah, that that makes it even weirder that Peter Parker didn't know that Harry was dating Mary Jane. Like why was Harry hiding that from Peter? Like I know he explains later, oh you always had the hots for her. So you should at least tell your best friend you're you're with the girl he loved throughout all grade school. Like I feel like that's worth a mention. I agree. He totally violates the bro code, but I think mm-hmm. that that's like a character flaw, not like a problem with the script writing. True, true. But still, I did. I was just like, oh, okay. That makes it a little weird, <laughs> but I guess I can see that. But yeah, just wanted to mention that real quick. That brings me to another nitpick because Mary Jane is not much better going around and kissing strangers while she's in a relationship. She's <laughs> literally cheating on him, pretty mm-hmm. much. Yeah, just going around kissing Spider Man. You know, just oh my goodness. And yeah, I know. Uh, let's see. This is something that I just don't understand. Like. How is it that Peter cannot connect that Norman is the goblin at that point? Like, as strange as he acts in that scene, and, like, he... It's literally him looking at the cut. That's what prompts him to leave the Thanksgiving dinner. And Peter's still oblivious to the fact that he just connected the dots that... And it's it's so weird because he was literally just up in the room... And Norman saw the blood drop, so like he should be connecting that Norman at least, maybe not Green Goblin, but Norman knows his secret identity. But beyond that, he should know that it's Green Goblin because he literally had just given him the cut, like in the previous scene. Yeah, see, I always assumed when I was younger, I always assumed that they both figured each other out. But upon rewatching it, I was like, oh. Peter Parker doesn't even realize that Norman Osborn is Green Goblin until the last end fight. I was like, oh my goodness. I always thought that they figured each other out. I guess, I don't I don't know. I don't know why I always thought that as a kid, but I, that made sense to me. It's just kind of weird that they don't, that he at least, yeah. I mean, as smart as he is, he doesn't figure Norman out until the very, very end when Norman reveals himself. Oh yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I just have two more minor ones. Um, so you know the scene where Green Goblin is holding Mary Jane in one hand and then a cart of children in the other hand? He's holding that trolley cart by a steel cable. But the thing is, the way those carts work, it's like a literal pulley that rides on the cable. There's nothing holding that cable onto the cart it would have just slid off and the children would have died instantly like with how he was holding the cable there like do you do you understand like can you visualize what i'm saying yeah because didn't he break the cable like he broke the cable yeah like even the other end was broken so the thing should have just fell off the other side yeah i know what you're saying like, even if he was holding up one side, he broke the entire cable. The other side 
was probably dip should have dipped and the cable the car should went right into the water (laughs) yeah and then not only that but they like they didn't just leave it there spider-man literally has to hold on to it as if it's attached somehow fixed to this hinge point on the cart and that there's not a point there where it would connect it would literally just Mm -hmm. slide off yep i realized that for the first time when i rewatched it i was like what the heck (laughs) (laughs) Uh, my last nitpick is when spider-man webs like a web wall in front of green goblin it's in the amazing scene when they're fighting and he's like trying his best to get away from norman destroying him so he like shoots a web wall as a defense and green goblin basically just tears it down but it sounds like a wrought iron gate opening up and fingernails on a chalkboard at the same time like it's it doesn't sound like web fluid you know (laughs) Mm mm-hmm that was the weirdest thing to me because it just again part like for a split second took me out of the the film and i was like that's not what webs sound like like what are you doing (laughs) yeah it sounds more like a tearing than a iron gate and fingernail shutting it was literally like like (laughs) metal it sounded like metal like tinfoil or something yeah (laughs) well all right uh, man that's it man I guess that brings time to us, get to our scores it does it brings us to score time so i know keon's was i took it as seven on a bad day eight on a good day so i guess we can round that yeah. to like a seven we'll say eight yeah like an eight yeah and um we'll go ahead and say mine and mine is also an eight i give this movie an eight as well nice <laughs> nice i gave this movie a nine oh. and i like i had to keep myself from going higher (laughs) this is a such a good movie it set the stage for so many superhero films to come like even the template of it so i i absolutely love this movie it's gonna be really hard for me to rank this against the next film that we're going to review spider-man 2 spider-man 2 came out in 2004 so yeah this was a good time, man. I I really enjoyed this movie. Oh yeah, I did too. You know, uh, watching it twice definitely you know took me back to the good old days where I could play with my toys and watch TV <laughs> and stuff like that. And I remember. I need to figure m- out if I still have those action figures. <laughs> you do because you need to post a picture. You'd be like, "This is what me and Freddie played with." <laughs> because I remember oh, that's so true. many moments. Yes. I remember so many moments of us. <sighs> playing in my bedroom or in your bedroom with all your action figures especially those oh, three. oh man that especially those three. <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> yep but yeah i i don't think i can get tired of this movie i think that this movie is to me as um star wars is to you freddie or or spider-man the raimi trilogy is to me as star wars is to you mm-hmm I think that that's the equivalence there. Yeah. So there you have it, guys. Mm-hmm. Like I know. Th- I know a lot of people like look back on this movie and probably think that it's worse than they remember, but if you haven't seen this movie in a while, I I would highly encourage you to watch it again and if 
if you haven't seen it since you were a kid, especially pay attention to some of the adult themes that come through this movie. Some of like the rich character moments because they're there. You just really just doesn't take a lot to just sit down, pay attention, and you'll get a lot of, you know, good uh, enjoyment out of it. It's very, very emotionally intelligent film, I think. Absolutely, bro. I definitely agree with you. And so this, this is the a beautiful beginning we've started with here. So uh, yep. we'll see what the rest of this road holds. And, you know, this time, unlike the first time we tried something like this, we have a definitive date for the movie and for the, the last movie we're going to see. And we don't know yep. where it's going to lead us to. But I uh, can't wait to go down this road. You know, a lot of fond memories and a lot of bad memories, too. You know, we'll we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> but, yeah. So, uh, that's been our Spider-Man 2002 review. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And I just want to give a little reminder. Uh, in our uh, Marvel TV show episode, we asked... If you guys would like to see the Amazing Spider-Man films. Um, I haven't seen a yes or a no yet. So, I mean, we might just do them just because it's a good time to do them. But I'll be honest, at this moment, we're definitely down to do them. I know we have a friend who probably wouldn't mind reviewing one of them with us. So, we'll we'll see. We'll see what the future holds. Definitely. Speaking of Instagram please uh follow us there that's where we post all of our stuff for the podcast um we put little audio clips just to kind of give you a little bit of tease to whet your appetite for every episode that we do and we're we tr- i think that that's really the best place to to like have a conversation with us and uh that's a great place you can even message us on there and we'll respond to you like we want to talk to you guys about these movies so tell us what you thought about spider-man um and our instagram is at cinema seekers pod so we'll see you there if not here all right with that um you can lead us out freddie all right with that i am freddie with my co-host here i am connor this is great talking to you guys and guys Until next time, we are the Cinema Seekers. See you guys. Peace.